Yeah, I've taken two nat- negative rapid tests because I've had a little congestion and Simon's, you know, Simon's in daycare. So that, okay. uh, always a threat, but so far uh, we're rolling and uh, we have, obviously we had Friday off for a staff shortage across the district. So it's been a four day at really? home. We worked from home Friday. So uh, yeah, it's kind of just kind of gearing up for another week. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Professional Development. Uh, this is Marcus Luther, uh, teacher in Kaiser, Oregon. And my name is Jim Mayers. I teach AP Lang and AP Seminar in Boston, Massachusetts. And this is uh, just yet another conversation where we're uh, trying to build uh, a discussion about teaching with teachers uh, that center the teaching perspective. And today's conversations featured uh, focuses on uh, this report that we found or Jim found and brought to us called teacher salaries and teacher shortages the view from the classroom. And we're going to talk a lot about that in this episode, talk about our own perspectives about it, uh, specific parts of it that stand out to us, how those perspectives may be challenged by uh, people outside the classroom and what it means and what we should do about it. Uh, We also took some time at the end to reflect uh, on today, uh, Martin Luther King day, about what that means for us, especially as white educators in the classroom and how we approach that uh, in our work. So hopefully you enjoy. Uh, and here's to another episode and a conversation that will always be ongoing. You read this report. What is the first thing that goes through your mind? Um, I, the first thing was like, wow, I didn't know this organization existed. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've been sort of scrolling through the teacher conversation on like especially Twitter um, and reading a bunch of news reports about shortages I mean you were just saying that you guys were out for teacher shortages Um, I know there's a lot of people who um, there's a lot of people in my life who are leaving teaching uh, Mm -hmm. and I I yeah I think just within the large within the larger sort of national context of teacher shortages and people leaving the profession. I mean, we, the whole point of starting out this podcast was to talk about the teacher profession and to Mm -hmm. talk about like what's going on. And I think this is a really big moment for that. And so I just kind of, this kind of came across my timeline and I was like the teacher salary project. Like I want more money. What's that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I, I was looking into it and they had this report that came out within the past year or two. Um, and it's an entire, turns out there's an entire nonprofit. I assume it's a bipartisan nonprofit. Uh, yeah. It's a think tank that's advocating for higher teacher uh, salaries and basically saying that this is a huge issue. So um, I read the report and it was very like, it was very interesting to me to see 
the report, I mean, we'll get into some of the details here, but it was very interesting to see a report like this so explicitly calling for higher teacher pay because I feel like a lot of times the conversation is like, um, oh, yes, of course, teachers should deserve more. Like, of course, like teachers should be the highest paid people in society. And like, if we want a functioning democracy, like teachers should be paid first instead of doctors. And, but like, I feel like, you know, people oftentimes say that kind of stuff and like, don't really mean it. Um, And I've heard like lots of politicians be like, our teachers are heroes. And I'm skeptical, basically, anytime a politician uses the word hero, like, yeah, red flags immediately, because what that means is putting people in harm's way without treating them like you're putting them in harm's way. Yeah, Um, our medical field the last two years, nurses in particular. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, So yeah, when I was reading the report, I was like, oh my gosh, like, actual adults (laughs) Mm -hmm. who are professional people are, are, are doing research and generating reports that are meant to inform policy to say, uh, yeah, you need to pay teachers more. Cause I've never like, I've never seen that conversation in, uh, I've never seen that argument be made in like really concrete, serious terms. It's always been just kind of like floofy sort of idealistic terms. And, and I don't know, it was very refreshing. I will say it was very refreshing to me to read this report that I really agreed with in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it was really disheartening because I don't believe, I really have no faith that um, teacher salaries will, like nationally, teacher salaries Mm -hmm. will improve in a significant way. Um, So it's, it was, that's kind of where I, it's kind of where my first hot takes on the report were. Yeah. It was also like most of the time, this type of talking about teacher pay is either in the idealistic, like you said, or it's in a yes, but context, like, Mm -hmm. yes, we should raise teacher pay if we do X, Y, and Z. And we, 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 I, we target the great teachers. We increase evaluations or incentives. It's this convoluted package. This is a the clarity of this report is really remarkable to me in that it's saying just across the board, the current level of teacher pay is insufficient to keeping teachers in the profession, especially like you've said, from a longevity standpoint Mm -hmm. of medium to long-term of not just like the next couple of years, but it's not sustainable for teachers to stay in the classroom uh, for, from the perspectives of teachers. And I think that's important and there's a clarity to it. And I know it was disproportionately sampled uh, of teachers who've uh, received awards or uh, mm-hmm. you know, accolades for their work. So this is these are teachers who are successful saying what we're getting is not enough for our schools to have the profession be strong enough. And I think at, at a baseline level, it's like, please listen when teachers say this is what they need, especially in such uh, a, really a convincing, clear message. So that was my takeaway first and foremost. Yeah. Um, for people who are listening who aren't familiar with this, um, the organization is called Teacher Salary Project. Uh, they have a bunch of different reports and, and resources that are on their website, teachersalaryproject.org. Uh, and I'm just going to walk through a couple of the key findings of the report, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about, like, because I think, Marcus, we have may have different uh, perspectives on this, but... Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, the key question to me is, how do you get teachers and how do you keep them? Um, so the report finds nearly half of teachers surveyed report that their salary was not sufficient to retain them for the medium to long term. Two thirds report that salary was either insufficient or they weren't sure if it was sufficient to retain them. Uh, the salary increase was necessary to retain teachers varied widely given differences in local uh, cost of living. Um, this was a big one. Only 20% of surveyed teachers of color reported their salaries were sufficient to keep them in the classroom for the medium to long term. 97% reported that their geography experienced teacher shortages, and 91% believed that salary contributed either greatly or somewhat to the local teacher shortages. 82% of respondents currently or previously worked in multiple jobs to make ends meet as a teacher, which is awful to me. 17% uh, of respondents were currently working multiple jobs uh, during the school year that were entirely unrelated to teaching, i.e. moonlighting in restaurants, driving Uber, et cetera. Two-thirds of the respondents believe federal relief funds should be directed towards improved <clears throat> teacher salaries. Um, I mean, I guess the question for both of us is, you know, do you, do you agree? Like, is, does, this, does this jive with, with your experience and what you've been thinking? So maybe this is internalized pessimism about the <laughs> likelihood of this happening, but in almost all my conversations around education and what we need to strengthen the teaching profession, which we're eye to eye on, uh, mm -hmm. Jim, uh, is this assumption that teacher pay is a downstream issue, that like there are more radical problems in education, in the teaching profession, in the entering in terms of college and the college education, the debt we saddle on teachers to make teacher pay such a situation. Uh, and there's like, I'll be honest, like a little bit of a skepticism when I hear people say like, oh yeah, teachers want to be paid more. Well, what are other professions saying? Like, I'm guessing, wouldn't you get that from pretty much anyone you asked mm -hmm. in a way like these results? So I guess some healthy skepticism, but I also like, I want a bullet point or not bullet point. I want to center this fact that throughout this report, it's very clear that particularly teachers of color are not feeling supported, uh, by a teacher salary and to a disproportionate level. And we are in an edu education profession in which white educators are overrepresented, that mm -hmm. white educators' voices are overrepresented. And you and I, as white men having this conversation, I think it's incredibly important to have the humility to say like, that's a big deal because mm -hmm. we're already struggling to make sure that we are creating a diverse population that meets the needs of our students uh, in terms of the teaching profession. And you read this report and that's the part that just jumps off the page to me. Yeah, I think, I mean, generational wealth is an incredibly serious thing uh, to prioritize. And if you are coming from a family, if you're coming from um, a place where like you don't access or you don't have, or you feel like your, your ability to create generational wealth is uh, really limited, of course, you're not going to go into teaching, right? And so that is disproportionately true for Black and Brown families. And it's not surprising at all to me to say, to, to, to see a report that says no, because it is hard. It's hard to create and it's hard to like actually uh, create the, you know, I'm using the term generational wealth. You're not going to be rich as a teacher, right? Like, but you should be 
comfortable and you should be able to, mm-hmm. you should be able to save up, have a retirement, pay for your kid's college. If you have kids, like, I feel like that, that like mm-hmm. classic idea of like participating in the middle class and saving money and not having to think about money is something that should be true for teachers. Right. And if so many people are like literally working second jobs um, to make ends meet as a, as a full-time teacher, that's clearly a huge disconnect to me. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess, and we have similar context in that we both began our career in rural Arkansas and spent a lot of time uh, learning about those, that context. Uh, For me, when I hear teacher pay and I think about the teacher profession, my biggest concern is the difference in pay school to school, district to district. Mm -hmm. And almost always, not always, but almost always, it creates a pipeline where the schools with more resources, more support also pay teachers more. So teachers cycle to those schools and you create higher shortages in the lower paying schools that far too often are in serving high need areas, high need communities, uh, disproportionately students of color in a lot of areas. And we've created a pipeline. And for me, the disparity in pay district to district and like the local property tax and all these things that factor in adds like exacerbates already existing shortages, uh, teacher quality, the, the ability to have longevity in a stable environment at a school uh, in terms of who you build your culture around. So for me, this idea of across the board pay increase has never been a priority compared to that because it's so much, at least in my experience, has been seeing the consequences of that pipeline that's created by disparate teacher pay across districts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I view this as uh I guess an indicator of the the problem and not like the problem itself. I mean, to me, the problem is retention, right? So yeah, like every job is going to, everyone's always going to say, yeah, of course I want more money for my work, right? But not every job is seeing people leave the profession. If you go ask someone who works in finance or tech, well, actually, I don't know. Fine, a lot of people leave finance, right? And like, I think the whole, the whole industry of finance is basically, and like management consulting and those types of jobs, like they're sort of designed for people to make a bunch of money and then leave after they get burnt out uh, and become really miserable. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you work in tech. I mean, I'll just say my school recently start like basically my school. Uh, adjusted the base salary for entry-level computer science teachers at $80,000 because they're saying in order to, in order to attract and retain uh, like qualified talent for computer science teachers from uh, like, if you're, if you're qualified to teach computer science, you're probably going to go somewhere else and make a bunch more money. So we have to pay computer science teachers more. And so they're, they have the base of, for computer science teachers at $80,000. And my response to that is like, I think that's great. Like that's, that is a smart move. That is what you should do. And at the same time, that is also, that is what should be the base for every teacher. Like if you're saying this is the base to, if, if you want to prioritize teaching across the board and you want to say as a school, 
all the con like all the contents are valid and and i mean i don't know i'm not trying to get too far into the weeds i'm sure that there's reasons i'm also not trying to get fired for whining about my pay because i think that i'm individually like paid enough but it's tricky right when you start saying okay well this content we're gonna pay eighty thousand dollars and then if you don't teach computer science we're gonna put you on this other this like other different track um and I don't know, like, what are we valuing? What are we incentivizing? What, like, if the market is demanding computer science teachers need to be paid 80K, like, that should just be, in my mind, that should just be what teachers earn. <laughs> yeah, I think you're bringing up, like, the nuances of how you, I think a lot of times, like, uh, listen to an interview from Arnie Duncan in 2019 with the Brookings Institute. And he pointed out, like, yes, there's a, a baseline pay across the board for teachers is important to strengthen the profession. I agree with that. Uh, he also then added in this idea of how do we target great teachers? How do we create pathways for people who want to maybe take on more risk in their career and also climb to a higher pay level, higher uh, recognition? I'm not buying in with that because I don't know how you apply that in an equitable manner. Uh, you know, he pointed out there's 15,000 school districts and they each have their own way of doing things. Uh, so I think once you get into the weeds, like you mentioned, of disparate pay, it gets complicated. And I don't necessarily trust right now systemically that we're going to make the right choices with those complications. So that would be my pushback. And I know we have different contexts. I guess the other thing that I'm trying to be cognizant of, because we're both teachers, we're, we've been in this for a while. What are people who are not in this profession thinking about listening to this interview? Because I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Uh, you know, Marcus and Jim, you guys, you do not work the same amount of days in a year that other people do. You have a guaranteed supported career path, especially in traditional districts where you have much more stability with your job. You can look 20 years out at your pay scale that if you're in other places, you could get fired at the end of the year. The business might shut down, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There, there isn't the stability that comes with your profession and the, the different levels of you know, time off in the summer. Cause let's be honest, like not every teacher is working 40 hours a day throughout, or sorry, 40 hours a week during the summer. Like, yes, work is done during the summer. No, it is not commensurate with the full-time work for most teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to name that myth uh, that's perpetuated sometimes, but isn't the stability that comes with this profession part of the compensation itself? What's your answer to the person who says that? Because I think it's a question that gets asked, and I think it's mm-hmm. not necessarily an unfair question. I don't think it's an unfair question. Um, I mean, my answer is no. It's not part of the, like, if, if we want to create a public school system that is functioning and we want to create, like, it, if we go back to why do we think we need a public school system, which by the way, not everyone thinks we need a public school system. Like there's a lot of people who are saying, get rid of it. Um, I mean, no, like it, there, there should be an incentive. If you go into the public sector, part of the incentive should be long-term stability. That's a key reason why I went into teaching, why I'm still in teaching. That's a key reason why my dad was a New Hampshire state police officer and was like, he built his career in the New Hampshire state police 
largely because of the pension opportunities and, and the, the retirement opportunities there, right? Like we do need to say in society, if we're going to guarantee X, Y, and Z things, you need to, you need to guarantee the long-term stability in addition to whatever the like whatever competitive market salary is. And in terms of the whole, like, I get that um, it is, it is true that teachers have the summers off and we do have other breaks and stuff. And, but a, like in general, I think I come back to a couple things. One, teaching is a significantly harder job during the days that you work than most other jobs, right? Like a corporate job allows you to like, you don't, you're never working outside of work. <laughs> you are never, unless you're like on call or something as a nurse, like the vast majority of people who are working jobs in tech and things like that, uh, where they say, oh, you're working more days than a teacher is you are not working as hard. Like many, many people, I'm just going to put it out there. Like many people just do not work as hard. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm just going to call a timeout because you just talked about last time we were on the pod that you are just drawing a line around your workday and not putting in those extra hours as a way of holding yourself accountable to the time you're compensated for. Correct. I mean, I've been grading papers all day because I've been out from COVID, right? Like, yeah. I think, A, yes, teachers can and should draw very firm, explicit boundaries, like, for their own, for, for their own purposes. I just, like, don't, what I'm trying to say is I don't really agree with the premise that, like, oh, because teachers get academic breaks, the, the over, they work less in a calendar year, right? Like, first of all, people get a lot of vacation. No one is able to, like, other like other my friends who work in other jobs and other industries that are not teaching like things just don't really depend on them in the same way like it's very easy it's very easy for someone to say oh i'm going to schedule a dentist appointment next thursday at three and just like block off their calendar and leave yeah and like they'll find a way they'll make up those hours like people have flexible schedules right and now we're pivoting to remote like entire remote industries where people are like anyone can do that right like I think in addition to the the tech salaries that schools are competing with like mine like they're also competing with even more flexibility that's offered in in, in mm -hmm. corporate life or in the private sector because you can because you can work remotely so like yeah it is true that people um that teachers have like more quote-unquote days off uh, in a calendar year, but a the 180 plus days that they are contracted for are just harder in general mm -hmm. than a lot of other than a lot of other days. Like even if you're only confined to those eight hours in the day, like I have, I literally go to the bathroom at very strategic times throughout the day because of how packed my schedule is. Right, like it's just more intense. And the other thing too is. Yeah, like people, the reality is all teachers are using personal time outside of their 180. Like, I don't know any teacher, even though I try to set really strict boundaries, including myself, I don't know any teacher who actually, you cannot do the job. You just cannot do the job within your contracted hours. And so, I don't know, those are, those are some competing realities to me that just say like, 
no, the time off that you get and the stability that you get is not actual compensation. It should be baked in and you like day to day, people have expenses. You have living expenses. You got to pay rent. You got to pay bills. You got to feed your kids. It, it's just about the money. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that response. And again, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here because I think it's important to touch upon all these things because these are things that get talked about when these ideas enter into the policy pipeline and mm-hmm. have a chance of becoming reality. Uh, and I think we're both in agreement that we're a long ways from that across in terms of like across the board, making significant changes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hear you on all of that. I, I guess part of me, like the downstream point mm-hmm. I would bring back is like, I don't care as much about the compensation as dramatically changing, like you've said, what it, the teacher day looks like, what education looks like so that a teacher can have more flexibility during the day to get the job done in those hours. And mm-hmm. maybe the school year itself shouldn't mm-hmm. look the way it, I mean, it just doesn't, it's nonsensical in a way that you have teachers who are basically in, entirely paid for times that they are in front of students and can't do all the other work that goes into teaching like why not extend the calendar in terms of work for teachers and a little bit in the summer or reshift it so there's more breaks during the year again mm-hmm. i could get way into this along with dramatically raising their pay so i don't want to just i'm not yeah. saying more work less pay but for me the teacher pay is a part of the conversation but it is not the center of that conversation Mm-hmm. Is my takeaway still, though I'm mm-hmm. trying to push back on myself looking at this report and reading that? I mean, two quick little anecdotes come to mind for me. Uh, a friend of mine is and has been right now a programmer for Chewy, the pet company, mm-hmm. right? Um, I met him in college. I ran with him. He's a great guy. He actually lives near me in Boston. And when my school made the decision to increase computer science teachers pay at $80,000. I'm sure that my friend, Jeremy, like makes more than $80,000 right now working as a programmer for Chewy. But I sent him the link and was like, Hey man, like you're a programmer. We are maybe like you live in Boston. Maybe you'd be interested in this. And he immediately texted back he was joking with me, but he was like, I don't know. Yeah. 15 weeks off a year. Sounds pretty nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, and then another thing, like uh, another close friend of mine who I have a lot of respect and admiration for hardworking guy. uh, He's a running friend of mine. You know, we were talking about teaching one time and he says like, you know, he said to me like, well, let's be honest, like, isn't, isn't the breaks, isn't break, isn't the time off, like one of the main reasons people go into teaching. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, that's so, it was so disheartening to me to have, and I'm not, I'm not like criticizing them for sort of having that response, but it was so disheartening to me to like have people Like if you had a concrete understanding of like why I show up in the classroom on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. like you would know how disconnected that response is. And those assumptions are, you would know how disconnected that is from the reality of like why people go into teaching. And it was just, it was somewhat crystallizing for me to say like, 
oh yeah like people don't really people don't know like they don't know why they they view the sort of work of teaching as equivalent to other work and it's different right like no one would say that about my dad who was a police officer because they know that like literally his life was being put on the line and like obviously I've had a lot of difficult conversations with my dad about like Mm -hmm. the, the war on drugs and things like that but I don't know like no one would like people used hero rhetoric all the time around cops which I think is really problematic but yeah I don't know the work is different (laughs) well I've heard those things too and I think this is where there's a conversation amongst teachers amongst education where we're having this conversation then there's that conversation that's outside of it and and I think you say they don't know I think the problem is there's this assumption that you do know because you've been in schools and you've seen teachers and if you see on you know a policy platform or on the ballot Hey, like a baseline, we're going to pay every teacher in this state $5,000 a year more, period. No mm-hmm. questions asked. Uh, and you, what do you, I know people in my life, I'm not going to name individuals. I'm just going to, I know people, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to think back to when they were in school and they're going to think of the teacher that was the l- worst example of someone who was invested in their learning, who they either didn't like, who they didn't feel was giving a good effort. And they're thinking, how in the world are we just going to pay that teacher $5,000 a year more? Mm-hmm. I disagree with that mindset. I want to say that really clearly, but that's, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think like you named, and I think those were really good anecdotes, that conversation about summer, that conversation about uh, just like people assuming they know what it's like to be in a classroom. We don't like it. We mm-hmm. we're trying to have this podcast for a reason to talk about our experiences as teachers and our investments as teachers. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that it's there and it would be, naive to not talk about te- or to talk about teacher pay and how we substantively change this and change the dynamic of the teaching profession without also considering how do we change the minds of people not in the profession because mm-hmm. that's the ball game and i think i look at this report i think this report does a lot of great things but i'm still left wondering how do we change those people's hearts and minds i mean i think like I don't know the extent to which it's possible. I don't know the extent to which it's possible to have them change their mind. Uh, If I were to try on like Mm. AP land teacher, if I were to try to appeal to just concrete logic, right. Let's take this other premise about time off as compensation as, as okay, fine. Yes, it is compensation. Teachers do not need to be paid at the same rate as like a typical market salary for X corporate job. You can get a job in tech right out of college. Like you can pretty easily get a job with a liberal arts degree or computer science degree that pays as a 20 something year old, Mm -hmm. well over 150 K like pretty easily. So let's say that you're shaking your head like maybe not i'm I'm trying to locate your points about tech and your bostonian uh lived experience right now with yeah in arkansas we lived in and worked in districts in which the 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 source of economic input in a lot of these towns and communities was the education system those were some of the best paying jobs yeah that's true jobs in those communities and the idea of paying them more and by the way those are some of the least paid teachers in the state Uh, so they do need to be paying more, but the context is 
you're paying them more when they're already making substantially more than a lot of the professions around that community or those communities just struggling for jobs, period. Uh, so I'm trying to hold that too. Yeah. I agree with your point that some professions do pay dramatically more, but I also think there's that other context that needs to be part of this conversation. I told, I really, I appreciate that because yeah, like for the past four, five years now, like my teaching context has been in a major urban city, like first Brooklyn and now Boston. So yeah, I do have a lot of like, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And it is, yeah, it's true. Like when I was teaching at Mark Tree, in the town of Marktree, those were some of the, the highest paying, most stable jobs that you could get uh, in the community. So I think that's totally true. I mean, I think, okay, I'll just, I'll just kind of finish my point. Yeah, sorry. Like, I didn't mean to do the eyebrow. No, I think, no, I think it's, I think it's good because it gets back to the point, right? Like we need, we also need to separate ourselves from this idea of like a teacher in Boston or New York is like, I, is doing the same thing or I mean in many ways they are but yeah but ge- geographical context really make a huge difference but if we're taking if we can assume that you're in Boston or New York or a major metro area like yeah first of all there's tons of inequity built into those schools right so like I don't know <laughs> it doesn't really matter to a certain extent. Like we need to retain good teachers everywhere. And my, my overall point was like, okay, fine. Don't, we don't need to say that teachers need to get paid like, like tech people or finance people, or even like doctors or dentists or things like that. Like, sure. Let's grant the premise that the stability and the time off is part of the compensation there's still, we're still bleeding teachers. Like we still cannot retain teachers. So I think the question is like, what should, it's not necessarily around the number, but it's like, what can your salary do for you and your community? And I think basically on a teacher's salary, you should be able to pay off student loans within a very reasonable time frame. You should, you should be able to like buy a house and support a family on a teacher's salary. And whatever that looks like in your community, I think that like that would, that alone would be a huge game changer. I agree with that. I think that it, it makes me think about like college, like the fact that you could go into the teaching profession and walk into it. Like they want you to get a master's degree and do student teaching, essentially teach for free in a mm-hmm. lot of situations in the yeah. ideal construct. Uh, and you're walking into teacher, you know, teacher life with $75,000 plus in loans, like that's different than someone who walks in with 30 or someone who walks in with zero. So mm-hmm. that, so then I think, okay, what about our education system at the higher level with college is creating this debt unnecessarily. And what can we do to deal with that? I worry about the geographic differences. Cause I brought up at the start, people are going to say, well, those communities cost more to live in. So we need to pay teachers more. Well, not always. And that's what creates that pipeline where, mm-hmm in the hardest areas to work, often we are paying teachers the least. And those are the students who need the most. And they don't just need the same in terms of teachers. They need the best of our teachers moving to those places and it's not happening. So I really struggle with, once we get into the nuances, I don't trust our broader system to support, to make decisions that prioritize the students who need to be prioritized, that prioritize uh, our students of color, our stakeholders and teachers of color, because right now we the the results show, including in this survey, 
that we're not doing well responding to those needs. Uh, and I just, I don't trust that we're going to be able, I think whenever, sorry, let me wrap this up. Whenever we add nuance and complexity to our solutions, the people already in power, the people already in privilege step in and take advantage of that nuance and complexity. So I'm probably more sympathetic to just like a baseline broad solution, but you're also right that it is complicated. I just don't necessarily trust us to deal with those complications in an equitable way. I don't either. And I mean, I think like it probably is not, it's probably not a good, I mean, I really wonder what it would look like for Biden or any, any like national political candidate to say, we're going to raise teacher pay. Like, I think that's constantly a campaign promise for a lot of people who like that, like gets broken over and over again. But I don't know, like, I feel like, again, I just, I don't have any, like, I agree really strongly with the report. I just don't have any faith that like there's enough political energy at all around raising teacher pay, even in local communities, because raising teacher pay means raising taxes. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to do that. That's a really tough sell. Um, And so I don't know, maybe like, maybe it's, maybe it is federal funding that gets dispersed to communities. Like maybe Mm -hmm. that is the only way to do it. But um, I do think that it's, yeah, there's not like, oh, $5,000 across the board is going to get bumped to every single teacher. Like that's not going to, that's not going to do anything. The question is around retention. Are you able to keep people? And I don't really know what the correct number is in a given community. I will say for my own community right now, it's, I am being compensated at a rate where I do feel like I can stay. Right. So I don't really see myself in this report, but I'm not surprised at all about the actual numbers that come out in this report. Yeah. And I guess in terms of my like takeaway from it, it's still, it hasn't swayed me from my deeper priority in that we need to make sure that I'm thinking back to Arkansas. I'm thinking to areas that don't face. My bigger point is that teacher shortage is not experienced the same in all schools. And let's just, you have school a that pays really well school B that pays average and school C that doesn't pay very well at all. Uh, And that school C probably has more students with more needs for support and less resources at the school. What happens when there's a teacher shortage? Mm -hmm. School A has a few spots open. So they go to school B and they get the best that they can. And Mm -hmm. now school B who already had more spots has further shortages. So what do they do? They Mm -hmm. go to, to all the school C's. So, you have one to two spots in some schools in a teacher shortage versus 50% turnover year to year in right. other schools. So the disparity in pay, going back to my broader point, is what concerns me the most because it leads to inequitable outcomes in terms of stability and longevity in the schools that need those things the most. So that's where my priority was going into reading the report. Mm-hmm. It hasn't swayed me from that, though I would I do think a dramatic revolutionary increase in teacher base pay, especially in those early years would be monumental. I just don't have a lot of faith that that's happening anytime soon. So it's hard to hold my conviction alongside my pragmatism, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, what would you, what are your takeaways? Like, 
what what are your takeaways from the report? Like if you were to like if you were to nail it down to a couple things, like does it change your mind in any way? Does it like make you think differently, or was it just like an unsurprising report? Uh, my my cynical takeaway is you had two secretaries of education, one of which who had a filibuster proof majority, and they did not raise teacher pay. So uh-huh. I'm glad that they signed it, but you had a chance, Mr. Secretary Duncan, to raise teacher pay dramatically. No one could have stopped you, and you didn't. So at some point, that would have done a lot more than signing a report several years later. Uh, that's my very cynical. I love it. I, I love, love I love, I'm here for, I, I agree with a lot of things, Mr. <laughs> uh, Secretary Duncan says, but that would be my like really cynical takeaway. Uh, I think I'm trying to check myself in looking at this, I mean, especially today, as we were ca- talking on uh, Martin Luther King day, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that both of us as white educators feel that we're relatively well compensated and stable and in our profession right. and seeing the disparity between maybe our lived experiences and what, uh, teachers of color, communities of color are saying in response to this report. And I'm trying to have the humility right now just to say, I'm not seeing the full picture and I need to do a better job of listening and figuring out what that full picture looks like. But it's still, I I think part of my frustration about those disparities is connected to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that would be my like takeaway is like a little bit of cynicism, a lot of humility and overall conviction that you're right unless we have dramatic changes, we're not going to change this pipeline out of the classroom across the board and weakening the profession. Cause that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, um, I am similarly cynical. Like I just, I don't think it's, I've not seen any politician or any serious legislative action, uh, deal with the issue of teacher pay. My only, my my takeaways are one it's absolutely critical it's absolutely critical that we have a lot more young teachers of color coming into the teaching profession and staying like coming into the teacher profession with the intention to stay um not necessarily through teach for america or things like that which it's fine if you want to come into the teaching profession through Teach for America, but like we all states have a very vested interest in all communities, even if you're living in a community that's like mostly white, all communities have a really vested interest in having a serious incentive and pipeline of young teachers of color, because I think that to me is like the major takeaway and, it, and it's clearly not here. And the other thing is like, there's a lot of different ways to stop the bleeding and money could be one of them. I don't think it's the only thing, but like, I, I do think that there's going to be a huge exodus of teachers out of the classroom this year. Um, and maybe money's, maybe money is part of the problem. I don't know, but it was just, I'll, I'll come back to what I said earlier. Like it was interesting and refreshing to sort of see for me the first time serious people taking the issue of teacher pay seriously um because it's always been in like political rhetoric and like op-eds and people in education saying like teachers have the hardest job and i you know blah 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 but it's always been like dismissive and pedantic to me and 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 really annoying to be honest (laughs) so that's where i'm at with the pay 
Yeah, and I appreciate. I want to also express appreciation for the report and its clarity on a specific issue, and just not getting lost in those weeds and those nuances. Just being incredibly clear with why this is important and what the stakes are. Uh, and I just appreciated this report and hope more and more reports uh, pop out. I mean, I'm not trying to make this like a weeds podcast, but like we, I, I love mm-hmm. talking about this type of stuff. And I yeah. think it's important to have these conversations. Uh, and I also think to have these conversations built upon the work that went into this report and this conversation isn't possible without it. So mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for the report itself. Agree. Uh, teacher salary projects, whoever you are out there, Thank you for the work. This is really, this is really cool and a helpful conversation too. I mean, I think we, this is the type of stuff, these types of conversations, I mean, change is slow, but I think like people should be like, this is the type of stuff that, like you said, can enable conversations uh, about teacher pay on a serious level. Um, Before we go, Marcus, we should talk about, we're recording this on Martin Luther King day and both of us are nerdy English teachers. So I feel like we should talk about Dr. King. Yeah. Um, how do you teach? I mean, you teach AP Lang, right? Uh, AP Lit. AP Lit. Okay. So, so it's different because the other day different. you were talking about Hamlet and I was like, why is he teaching Hamlet in AP Lang? But oh, that's English 10. That's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> okay. But yeah. We got King, King Lear is coming down the pipeline. Uh, okay. I'm very excited in February, Excellent. especially after succession. Uh, Have you seen uh, Station 11? I, I, I could do a whole podcast on okay. how station 11 is the best season of television I have ever witnessed. And that's like okay. above the why I am, could not be more overwhelmed by that, but that's a whole separate issue. Did you like the book? I've not read the book. Okay. Uh, the book, the book so, is really good, but yeah, but did you know that? So I guess you, you do know that the, some of the choices they made were dramatically different in the show yeah. and those are meaningful in the, anyhow, this yeah. we're getting dislodged, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. How do you deal with uh dr king do you teach any of dr king's speeches how does how do you see it sort of impacting your classroom in terms of uh, dr king specifically uh and his text it depends on the year of the unit uh we don't a lot of times especially with abd or sorry a day b day like the, mm-hmm. the types like when you see the students it's a holiday today of course during black history month we center specific mm-hmm. texts and specific conversations every year but for me the broader th- priority is I don't want the only day that we talk about Dr. King Mm -hmm. and other writers of color and the experiences of our nation in relation to race uh, to be in a specific month or in a specific day. So my mindset is that should be inundated throughout the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one moment or one month. Now, during certain moments and certain months, we're going to have that conversation and we're going to bring that up uh, intentionally. But I've too often in my experience seen that as a cop-out to excuse the, the whitening mm-hmm. of the curriculum in every other month of the school year and every other day of the school year. So mm-hmm. for me, it's almost like a reflective opportunity of like, how well am I doing in honoring that value throughout my curriculum, throughout the school year and the values we bring into the classroom. So that would be like my, I guess I'm not trying to dodge the question. I'm, I, I no, just it's think a, it's a great answer. That's the way I think about this day mm-hmm. is it's, it's a, a self-reflective, especially as a white educator. Uh, what am I doing with my curriculum in my classroom community as a whole to make this work centered throughout the classroom experience, 
not just on a specific day or month. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think, I think it's, it's really appropriate given the contents that you teach. Like I get really frustrated yeah. at times when people are like, Oh, an English teacher is an English teacher is an English teacher. Like, no, actually there's a lot of, there's like a, no, like, Oh, that's so frustrating to me. Um, for me, you know, teaching AP Lang that offers, it's it's the study of rhetoric, right? So like teaching AP Lang really offers, I teach letter from Birmingham jail every year. I think Mm -hmm. it's like one of the most, um, and I consider myself lucky to like come back to that letter in an intentional way every single year, like it, or at least every single year that I've taught AP Lang. Um, but I've taught letter from Birmingham jail, even not as an AP Lang teacher before. And I feel like for me, it is partly a reminder of, okay, how am I showing up? I am a white teacher. Most of my students are black. How, like, how do I enter the conversation in a way that is like from a frame of like liberation and consciousness and I often, you know, I say like classrooms are a space where you create justice uh, actively. Um, And I think, I don't know, Dr. King, that letter is just incredible to me. I'm I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of it. And it's like one of the most powerful pieces of American rhetoric in general. So for me, it's, it's, um, I consider myself lucky to sort of teach letter from Birmingham jail every year we're about to start it and then in February you know Black History Month is coming up and so we kind of are going to springboard from Birmingham jail to uh the fire this time like it's a collection of contemporary essays by edited by Jesmyn Ward and um that's just been it's just a really powerful way to celebrate and reflect on Black History Month during the holidays and during the days but I completely agree. Like the work is actually how do you like deconstruct the impulses of like colonialism and imperialism and whiteness for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, glad we could nerd out about Dr. King for a second. <laughs> oh, without question. I'm, and you're hundred percent right about the power of that text and the importance of it speaking to this current moment and the passivity of white quote unquote allies uh, in not speaking up and not putting themselves in a position to actually make change when it benefits them to be quiet. Uh, right. Cause you and I both have been in those positions many times where we have the privilege to be quiet and privilege to be silent and we need to do better. So uh, I think that is appropriate to end on with our reflections. Uh, and I really appreciate this conversation today too. Uh, yeah, too. That's where it went. Uh, and I think, I think you probably heard in the conversation, there are a lot of moments where we didn't have great answers, uh, like I we didn't so have great too, yeah. solutions. And I would rather have this space be a place where we acknowledge our, uh, lack of certainty and lack of conviction about like specific pathways than just to have the hot takes and throw out these solutions that we really haven't thought through. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think that was important today. So I just wanted to note that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. If you made it all the way through uh, like comment, share, subscribe, you know, we have a very large audience, I think of 13 or 14 so far. So, you know, we're growing. 
Um, but have a good one and good luck for, to all those teachers out there coming back into their classrooms for exams and at the start of the next semester. Take care and have a great day. How do you feel about semester? So I feel like I've backtracked a little bit on semester exams or like end of year assessments uh, being as important because if you've built revision as a norm into your classroom and then the most important moment in the, the class, they can't revise and they can't get feedback and go back and do that. It just seems counter to the culture we've created in our classroom. Uh, how do I, like, how do I feel about revision in general? Or just in general, like, do you think semester exams should be on this pedestal of importance uh, in the yeah. academic year? Um, I mean, I definitely think they should be important. I think that like, I think, I, I guess schools are different I do yeah I, I I do think that there should be like a, a significant opportunity to demonstrate mastery and honestly for some students improve your grade like yeah I'm all about that but yeah. um I yeah I mean it, there's a lot of issues around like mm -hmm. the whole culture of testing and are we like what are we incentivizing? Because I do think like, okay, yeah, you're creating uh, this rather large anxiety ridden window where you're saying these days are different from your other mm. days. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if we didn't do semester exams, what would you do? Uh, I mean, I think uh, like unit exams and summative assessments at a smaller scale, throughout the year would be i mean that's honestly the way we design at least in our plc mm -hmm. uh like we have a, like a unit three essay it was like the big ticket item and then we're having a socratic seminar as our semester exam mm -hmm. uh to be more equitable especially with the number of kids out uh to be mm -hmm. responsive because like on the essay like that they turned in two weeks ago they can get feedback they can mm -hmm. go back and fix like they their learning continues it's still a summative activity uh or skills we've been building throughout the semester it's mm -hmm. just a different time frame where they can get the feedback on it because i mean think about like end of year assessments like you mm -hmm. get take all these big tests even ap tests mm -hmm. and then the results come in the summer and now you're in a different like, classroom with a different teacher like yeah. it just doesn't make sense if the goal is learning uh it's just kind of something that's been on my mind hmm. yeah i mean i do think I mean, the, my, the transfer for me is like, yes, I do think that there should be a large, uh, like a, a large summative assessment that is, especially in like an upper level course. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, but I, yeah, I think that there's a lot of questions in terms of how, how do you create, how do you do the math so that it incentivizes learning over like cramming for a test or whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah.